2: You see, if you're going to love God passionately and you're going to love others intentionally, that requires unlimited commitment to meeting needs. A true neighbor is willing to look past the differences that traditionally divide us and to love others unconditionally and without prejudice. you learn the a key life lesson when you learn that you can't do everything, but you can't do something. You can't fix every problem, but you can fix some of them. You can't heal every hurt, but you can heal some of them. You can't meet every need, but you can meet some of those. And you can't help every person in the world that needs it. But you can help some of the ones in your little corner of the world. In fact, I want you to think about something today. I believe that in the eyes of God, failing to help a person in need may be synonymous with hurting those in need. When God has given you the opportunity to help and you don't help You've become hurtful. So what does it look like to get out of your comfort zone? Right? So think about that. What is your comfort zone? Maybe it's people just like you. And maybe it's your socioeconomic class. Maybe it's your race. Maybe it's your literal neighborhood. Maybe it's what you've become accustomed to. So for some of you, it may mean just going to the other side of the track or the other side of town or having an intentional effort to sit down over a meal with someone of a different race or a different culture. It may be doing something that you're not very familiar with. I, I love that our mayor and, and a member of our church family, Dr. Mel Herado, posted about one of the new Habitat homes was just built right here in our community i love how habitat for humanity is helping people all over the country to have homes that would not have had homes and and maybe it's that you don't know anything about construction but you're going to say i'm going to show up and help in a way like this maybe it's coming and being a part of our english as a second language program that takes place with people from all around the world monday through friday every week right here on this campus and you say, well, I'm not a teacher. Or I don't even know English very well, but you know how to love. So you're willing to step out of your comfort zone. Maybe it's going to our next door neighbor, Woodmont Elementary, and, and just being willing to read to students uh, during the week and invest in them in that simple way. And, and perhaps you say, I don't know that I even like to read or I'm a very good reader. Well, you probably can read on the level that they need to be read to. And you could impact and make a difference in the life of a child. Stepping outside of your comfort zone. When you do, I believe God smiles and love is demonstrated. Like when my friend Kay in our church took care for several months of the expense of an individual that's a part of the English program upstairs because they needed medication and they could not provide that for themselves. Or like when my friend Joanna cared for an individual by watching their child and providing food when they did not have enough to eat, like she's continuing to do for a number of Muslim background women even right now. Or like my friend Anita, who's helped several women just simply learn to drive. And I thank God for people trying to help other people learn to drive because Lord knows we need it. You know what these three examples of individuals have in common? They're simply people who did something. Say this with me say, do something. Where does God want you to step out of your comfort zone and do something? Too often, instead of doing something, we make excuses. Charles Spurgeon I I love so many of his quotes listen to what he says I never knew a man refused to help the poor who failed to give at least one admirable excuse you know what he means we can all come up with reasons I don't feel safe I don't feel like I have enough I don't know if I know what to say I don't feel like I have time we can all come up with at least one admirable excuse But are we willing to do something? Good excuses are still excuses for not doing. Too often, we run from the hurting, the dirty and the needy, because they're not like us. And unfortunately, when we do that, we're not like Jesus. Let me give you a second truth. Not only do you show love by getting out of your comfort zone, you show love by getting your hands dirty. By getting your hands dirty. Look at the next part of that verse. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. I'm going to read that again. And I'm going to look at you. The Samaritan, he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine And bandage them. Some of you, I saw you get this look on your face. Have you ever had oil on your hands? I just want you to think about that. I love cooking with olive oil. Just imagine pouring some olive oil on your hands. Some of you are reaching in your purse and pockets right now for your antiseptic. (laughs) Just think about how practically dirty he got in the moment. And then think about our lives. Think about what we do. Think about how we would want disinfectants and disclaimers instead of getting dirty. When's the last time you've got dirty doing something outside of your comfort zone for the glory of God and the good of someone else? Could it be that we've sanitized our Christian faith so much and we've made it too much about our comfort and less about the comforter. And so the most common reason you hear from church members who decide they're going to another church or they're changing their place of worship is they say, well, I just wasn't comfortable there anymore. When's the last time you've been willing to do something that maybe stretched you? never forget about this time last year i met with a group of leaders from our church and i asked them how many of you have been around our community for 20 years or more and many in the room raised their hands and then i said how many of you would have thought our community would have looked like it looks today 20 years ago and almost no one raised their hand See, we live in a community that's changing i've been here seven years and you know what i've seen a lot of people run from the change. I talk to people even unwilling to drive through a different or a dirty part of town to come to church. How are we going to be like this Good Samaritan if we're not willing to get a little dirty? And I don't want to rob you of the punchline, but can I just say thank God that Jesus was willing to get dirty to save a filthy sinner like me. Well, let me give you a third thing real quickly. You show your love also by giving up something valuable to you. You give up something valuable to you. Now, before we talk about this, let me just remind you of the context. What's this great command? The great command is we love God with our all with our everything so our issue when it comes to our giving when it comes to our serving when it comes to our willingness to do what god wants us to do our issue is not with any church or any pastor or anyone asking us to do something our issue is our willingness to follow the great commandment of jesus Am I willing to give God my all? Am I willing to give up that which is precious or valuable or meaningful or personal to me so that I might make a difference for the good of others and the glory of God? In this story, all of the Samaritan gets involved. His eyes, his heart, his feet, his hands, his thoughts, his times, his possessions, his speech, his money. What is involved in your faith journey? Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. With the greatest love of Jesus in my speech, please hear this. If your faith journey consists primarily of you giving God a few hours of your week, then you are not giving God your all. So in this case, it involved even the Samaritans' money. Remember, we learned there are three types of people in this story. The first were the thieves, and the thieves had this worldview. Hey, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. And we've encountered people like that. Some of you have been a victim to a person like that in your life, whether it's with monetary things or whether they took something personally that was precious to you, maybe because you were a victim of abuse. There are those kind of sinful people in the world But then secondly there were the two religious people And they had a different theology theology and mentality The priest and the Levite They thought what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it And that's a prevailing mentality in the world It's not that I don't like you It's just that I love me more I see your need but I've got needs too you don't know how hard I worked for this. You don't know where I came from. You don't know how I pulled myself up from the bootstraps. You don't know all that's going on in my life. So what's mine is mine, whether that's my time or whether that's my uh, my thought life or, or whether that's my resources. What's mine is mine and I will keep it. And then there's the good Samaritan who says, what's mine is yours. And so I will give it. And so notice a verse again, a Luke 10. and Look at verse 34. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. Look at the next verse with that. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Some of your translations say two denarii, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Just think about what it says. He put him on his own horse. And he took of his time to take him to this place that he would have to pay for. And he gives him what's called these two silver coins or two denarii, which theologians tell us would amount to a day's wage for a hard laborer. So just imagine he had worked all day out in the field, which is very possible. And he had been paid for it. And he was headed home and he took everything. Say everything. He took everything he made. And invested in the life of this individual. It cost him. What are you doing for God that costs you something? I want to remind you of the principle we teach here about our material possessions. We believe it straight out of God's word. First of all, we believe we're not owners. We're just managers. Everything you have is on loan to you from God. The Bible says that every good and perfect thing comes from him. So God is the owner. We're managers. As part of that management process, there are some things I do. We believe the Bible teaches the first step in that is just to give back to God of what Scripture calls the tithe. So that's 10% of, of what I make in a, a week or a month or a year's time. So if, if I make $100 when I tithe, just out of gratitude, I'm, I'm going to give um, gratitude and obedience, I'm going to give $10 of that $100 just straight back to him. That's what we believe, and that's what we teach. If I make a $1,000, I'm going to have $100 of that back to him. And then we believe, on top of that, there's opportunity to give of our offerings, to say, out of our free will, God, we look at what you've done, and we just want to say thank you. But that's just the ministry of our church. I'm looking out at some friends that I think have this... Man, this heart of generosity. And, and I know that in addition to the ministry to their, their church, there's so many other ways that they give to, to families in needs, to inov- individuals on the mission field, looking for opportunities to give back for the good of others and the glory of God. What have you given to and given of lately that cost you? I read a shocking statistic just yesterday. It said, professing Christians in our country only give .06%, six-tenths of 1% of their annual income to evangelize those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. And I imagine the heart of God must look at us and say, you guys just don't get it. Before I move on, let me just remind you of something my dear friend Johnny Hunt also says. He says, you don't have to be rich to be generous. You just have to be generous. In Scripture, listen to this, in Scripture, whether you're talking about an individual or you're talking about a church, examples of generosity are given to us in the context of poverty. We see that with the widow's might And we see that with the church at Macedonia. So a practical prayer for this would be just ask God to help you be more generous for his glory. Let me give you this fourth thing and then I'm going to pray with you. You show love by continuing to show up even after others have moved on. You continue to show up even after others have moved on. Look again at verse 35. You see this? The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. What is he saying? He had something in common with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. (laughs) He wanted the innkeeper to understand that this is not one and done. The Christ follower understands that when we invest, we're making an eternal investment. So don't be surprised that it takes a little bit of time on this side of glory. Being a good neighbor is not a one and done proposition. In fact, sometimes you don't even see the benefits of what you've done on this side of heaven. And if you do, it often takes a long time, but you keep showing up. Why? Well, because you can make believe it happens and pretend something's true. You can wish or hope or contemplate a thing you'd like to do, but until you start to do it, you will never see it through. Because the make-believe pretending just won't do it for you. Watch this. I
3: think I'll just draw something here. Maybe I should use some... uh different colors now I wouldn't have made that if I'd just been thinking about it just pretending about it, it wouldn't be there you can make believe it happens or pretend that something's true you can wish or hope or contemplate a thing you'd like to do but until you start to do it, you will never see it through. Because the make-believe pretending just won't do it for you. You've got to do it. Every little bit, you've got to do it. Do it, do it, do it. Then when you're through, you can know who did it. Because you did it. You did it. You did it. That's right. And it feels good to do things. No matter how anybody says it is. It feels good to have made something. That's
2: why I love Mr. Rogers. It's so simple. You just have to do it. You know, I heard a story this week about some other folks in our church who did something that's really, really cool. It's a story about a a young lady. My friend, Pastor Gary and Miss Lynn were coming by the church and they came upon Aaron, our preschool director, who was talking with a young lady. And as they joined together with Aaron, they realized that this young lady was actually a person in in pretty deep need. And, And she was looking for our other campus. Terrace our Mission Hill uh, Six Mile. And as uh, Gary and Lynn begin to talk, they said, well, let us take you to our other campus. Now, you may not realize this, but every Friday night, most Fridays of the year at Mission Hill Six Mile, we offer a free meal. And as people come in for that free meal, some of them even homeless, uh, they also have an opportunity to, to go to a clothes closet and to, to take advantage of some of the other ministry opportunities we have here. So, Pastor Gary and Ms. Lynn uh, drove this young lady uh, out uh, several miles from here to our other campus, Mission Hill 6 Mile. And as they did, of course, they talked about her life and they found out she had served our country in the armed forces for a number of years. But then she had gone through several years of just great difficulty. And she had found herself at a place she never thought she'd be. And with needs she never thought she'd have. And so they shared the gospel, but more importantly, they demonstrated love in some practical ways with no strings attached. And so they went with this young lady into our, our campus there at Six Miles and immediately she was surrounded with folks, folks like Nancy Hernandez, who said, hey, come check out this clothes closet and took her to our clothes closet and, and she was able to get some things that could help her right there, right then. And, and then she saw Brownie Shof just put her arms around her and, and just love on her as she got some of that good Friday night food. And then she watched as our campus pastor, Pastor Jeff, uh, just again, just demonstrated the love of Jesus. And what did everybody in that story have in common? They did something. They, They made a difference right where they are. And you can do the same thing. There are people under the shadow of the steeple. There are people in your corner of the world who need the loving care of God and the demonstration of the gospel through you. So the question is, after all these weeks looking at this very familiar story, what are you doing to be a good neighbor? You see, if you're going to love God passionately and you're going to love others intentionally, that requires unlimited commitment to meeting needs. A true neighbor is willing to look past the differences that traditionally divide us and to love others unconditionally and without prejudice. A godly neighbor does whatever it takes to demonstrate the love of Jesus in practical ways, no strings attached. how does God want you to demonstrate that in your corner of the world? Because just like Mr. Rogers taught us, with simple little puppets, it's not rocket science. It's just not. It's simple. It's basic. When you love God the way he wants you to love him, you will love others the way he wants you to love them. And I want you to get what I think is the best part of this story. Who do you think the Good Samaritan really represents? Let me see if I can help you. The Bible says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners.